0: the drum, and kick all trouble out the door Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum Beat me that rhythm on the drum And kick all trouble out the door Kick him out the door
1: Well, welcome to Radical Australia for part two of the life of Percy Rogers. But before we speak to Percy, I'd like to say hello to the producer. How are you?
0: I'm going real good. How are you? Yeah,
1: look, you're going to go to heaven because you're looking after the elderly. You're looking after me and Percy.
0: I am ha-ha, don't forget. Higher authority. That's
1: right. The good thing is you don't have to change us because we're both, we're not incontinent, all right? Okay, so So hold yourself together. Exactly. (laughs) Percy's laughing in the background there. Look, Percy, it's great to have you here. And before I... um, Look, we're going to do what the bloody ABC does, Percy. We're going to advertise things. Now, I've got a hardcover book here published about your life with your picture painted by right. Rosalind. Yeah. My
2: wife. Yeah.
1: You look pretty mean in the cover. <laughs> oh yes, Percy. I hope that's not an indication of your your marriage state. <laughs> not at all. She did a lovely job there. Yeah, but you got you got that determined look. I'd yeah,
0: hate. Yeah, steely gaze, Percy. Yeah, what look, is that so? Yes. Yeah, you
1: look like a prison guard, mate.
0: <gasps>
1: no, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> now, Percy, I, I, look. It was printed by. A Melbourne publisher who I understand we're speaking to next week. Stories to Keep from Brunswick. And it was also printed and bound in Australia. That's unheard
0: of.
2: Yes. Why did it go to China, eh? What's, what's going on here? Well, first one went to China. <laughs> right. And uh, I had it. Uh Printed there. Um, I think we had a thousand copies. Mm. They sold out, so we got another run of them. Right. But uh, this is a much more detailed and, I think, right. better account.
1: Now, obviously, uh, we kind of harped on your younger life last week, but I'm really interested in your career as a medical practitioner, because uh, the book's called Taking Action, A GP's Lifetime of Learning, Love and Labor. Now, Percy, I'm humbled. I've been a doctor for 47 years. I'm still practicing part-time. I assume you got to 60 years or 70 years, did you? I did. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm just... can't imagine being I, a doctor for that long. I had to retire when I was 85. Mm. I thought it was time. Right,
1: right. Mm. The medical board didn't tap you on the shoulder? No 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 no, 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 no. Right, no. that's good. I
2: made the decision. Then I was appointed, or I was practising at the time up in the Northern Territory. Right. Uh, we Rod and I were out on uh, Aboriginal communities, mm-hmm. fairly isolated, um, and... Uh, we decided that it was time that I uh, gave it away. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and
1: what they call hanging up the shingle. Yes. Yeah, old parlance. So where did all this medical stuff start,
2: you know, when, when did, which university did you go to? Well, when I resigned from the psych department at Melbourne University, I started the medical course and uh, I had to do it part-time. I was teaching at Richmond Tech, which is another story in itself. Yeah, uh, I,
1: I, I had a, a stepson who went to Richmond Tech. I hope he didn't give
2: you any trouble. <laughs> Well, I know about Richmond To <laughs> give you an idea of the flavour of the yeah. place when I was there, yeah, the yeah. first day I was there, yeah, uh, yeah. one of these rather bur- burly <laughs> teachers called me aside and said, look, there are two methods of discipline here. Yes. One is lumbering, yeah. that is hitting with a strap on the hand, yes. and the other is ironing out. Yes. And let me tell you, Danny Costigan... <laughs> Had no further trouble in his math classes when he ironed out one of the boys. boys yeah. And I thought that brutality is not for me. No. So I got the lads to vote on their own punishment if right. there was a misdemeanour oh, in the class. So uh, when did you start medical school? I the same year in that I started teaching half time. What, what, and what, year, what was, year was that? Yeah, that was um, fifty. 50 Mm. Uh, 1953 uh, I boarded with uh, a fellow psychologist uh, and uh, started studying um, I had to uh, really I did only need to needed to do only two of the three subjects past the exam mm-hmm. I uh, passed all my exams fairly well. and But unfortunately, during the year that I was uh, studying, the university imposed a quota on the medical course mm. of 100 instead of their previous 150, sometimes more than that. And the people in Victoria, the press, the uh, trade union movement, were immediately were up in arms over this imposition of cutting back on the number of doctors that the university was treating, mm. and and passing, mm. and uh, so there was a strong movement, and for some reason or other, I led that uh, movement against the quota. Mm. We had a band of about five of us who devoted our time during that year to uh, speaking at meetings, going right, around right. the ex servicemens, ex-prisoners of war organisation, the trade union movement. Anyone who would listen to us, we, we went and spoke to them about the necessity to increase the number of doctors trained.
1: Were you successful?
2: <clears throat> uh, eminently <laughs> successful, but the only trouble was <laughs> halfway through the year, a chap who... Um, was, um, I don't know what he was called, but I'm sure he was in the RSL, if not ASIO. Yeah. called the five of us into the room yes. and said, Rogers, you're out. Forbes, you're out. Yes. Uh, Lo, you're out. Yeah. And yeah. kicked us all, the five of us, yeah. then assured us, that it was not because of religion, of race, or politics. Yes. Uh, Perish the thought. thought yeah, uh, yeah. But we didn't believe him. You realise nothing has changed. In, no, no.
1: In, in 1976, uh, I graduated in '75. After I did my internship, I was blacklisted in every hospital in Queensland by the bjelke peterson government because of politics. I would not doubt that. Yeah, that's, that's why I came down here
2: blacklisted for a job yeah. you know, for 25 years yeah. until, uh, yeah. uh, by the secret police. Yeah. Well, they call them ASIO, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or uh, raises, uh, whatever they call yeah. these days. Uh,
1: have you, uh, did you, you haven't uh, bothered looking at your file, have you? Yes,
2: I have. Oh,
1: tell us about that experience.
2: Uh, How much is redacted? Oh, <laughs> a tremendous amount. But one significant thing, was there was a, a slur against my name, mm-hmm. uh, and it was profound, and it was, he is bald, going bald, <laughs> badly dressed, <laughs> and wears glasses. Now, can you think of anything more damning than that?
1: Well, I can. Oh, <laughs> you know, you realise, Percy, not much has changed. Not You're not yet. wearing glasses, but the other two. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Badly dressed and going bald, I'll <laughs> agree with.
0: <laughs>
2: that was we paid these people. We paid them for that observation. Well, I can't <laughs> believe, and they're pretty silly. Well, what dumb, you, dumb, yeah. Dumb. Yeah. They were dumb. They ASIO was completely dumb That's until right. they only then recruited university graduates, yeah. and then the intelligence quotient of of the secret police in Australia improved yeah. until yeah. Whitlam. Uh, yeah. Into yeah, until though, Lionel Murphy so. raided the ASIO oh, headquarters. lovely. <laughs> remember, remember the good old days when, oh. when
1: terrorism was accepted, the Croatian nationalists could bomb who they wanted yeah. at will around yeah. the country, yeah.
2: <laughs> until Justice I Hope, I think it was, mm. said ASIO made the fatal mistake to, for the first 25 years in that they confused um, subversion... With dissent Mm. They Mm. regarded Any dissent In Australia As being subversive That's right But anyway uh, I was kicked out Of the medical So how many
1: many years Had you done then? What? What? A part time Was this first Second, third, fourth year You were kicked out?
2: Uh, No My first year
1: First year So how did you get back in? Who did you
2: bribe? Uh, (laughs) I didn't have to We all were The five of us Were were admitted And And we, we had many a laugh over what had happened during the oh, year. Yeah. But um, the five of us got back on the course and we just lapped it up. We loved it. Uh, we, we worked together. Uh, I worked with a Chinese particular mate of mine, Tim Lowe, mm-hmm. who um, we were boarding in a place, a house in, in uh, Carlton, in Richardson Street. And uh, at seven o'clock in the morning, we'd go in, put uh, the oven on, put our feet in the oven, and we'd do our bones <laughs> Right. And by the time. <laughs> we learnt those bones thoroughly. Yes. <laughs>
1: uh, look, uh, I still remember the first day we're, we're in anatomy school year, too, when I was introduced to uh, this, you know, this cachexic k- 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 elderly, dead body, and... I was told when there were six of us around this body and the uh, the anatomist said, well, this is going to be your friend for the rest of the year. Yes. What's your... Have you got any recollection of that first day? I
2: vividly remember the first day (laughs) we confronted it. We had Jameson, the uh, manual for dissection, and uh, one read, the other one dissected, and then the, the remainder looked on. And then we swapped around, yeah. and so we had yeah. turns in, yeah. in reading, cutting, uh, listening, mm. And, mm. And, and laughing. Yeah, uh, and,
1: and the formaldehyde, and you know, the oh. smell on you, you know. Oh. And I still remember the bin where we used to put the bits in, you know, as we dissected there. It was just, it, look, I think it was more about <coughs> bloodiness as doctors than actually learning much. Oh, we, we learned mm. a tremendous mm. amount mm. Um,
2: uh, it was astonishing, really. Mm. Um, mm. But uh, in the same uh, room, the secting room, the physiotherapists were there, and every now and then there'd be a dive-bombing ex- <laughs> 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 expedition from the medical yeah. students over yeah. to the physiotherapist yeah. to arrange for dates and so yeah. things like that but it was really fun as well as hard work
1: yeah it is hard work it's confronting mm-hmm. but it is hard it's exceptionally hard work in anatomy because it's yeah. you can't fudge it you can't fudge no, anatomy it's a no, fact you, cannot. you know it's not as if you know you can, you can do a dissertation on it you know an optic nerve is an optic nerve
2: well, uh, when in the first exam I was presented with just a bit of a rag that lo- looked like a, a thread of something coming from nowhere, right. and the the, uh, <coughs> the, the uh, examiner said, "What is that?" Uh, I said, "That's the glossopharyngeal cool nerve, <laughs> uh, the hypophyseal <laughs> branch of the glossopharyngeal." And He looked at me in astonishment because it was, it was right. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many years did it take you to complete your medical course? I went through year after year after year. Uh, so, I did uh, uh, five years. Right. For, in, <clears throat> two years in um, anatomy, uh, histology, by bio- Physiology Biology, yeah. and bio- Biochem- biochemistry. Chemistry, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, we went did clinical work following right.
1: that. So where were you interned?
2: Uh, at at uh, Royal Melbourne Hospital right. and then the Royal Women's Hospital. We did our obstetrics at the Royal Women's Hospital. It was there that I determined I would become an obstetrician because the way women were treated was something which I found absolutely abominable. They were treated by uh, middle class, uh, if not higher, Mm. white males Mm. uh, that were, to me, they were beyond it because they showed no shred of humanity at all. Mm. I well remember going around in a group of, five students, there were three uh, junior doctors, two senior nurses and this consultant. We were going around and standing around a bedstead of a woman who had a breech birth but unfortunately coming out the cervix had clamped around the neck Mm. of the breech and it had died. Mm. So the way that this was delivered was by tying ropes around the feet of the the oncoming child, mm. the breech birth, and putting it over the end of the bed on weights, so the weights would gradually pull the baby out and in doing so gradually increase the size of the opening of the cervix. Mm. But what was absolutely damning was this consultant standing there uh, explaining what was happening when the woman was sobbing her heart out. Mm. She was so distressed. And not one person went to what to her. Mm. and I thought this is the last time this will happen, right. and uh, mm. <clears throat> and I was just a, a, a nothing, a, a student. You're just an intern, that's yeah. right,
1: or even a student. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, how long did you last at the Royal Melbourne?
2: Oh, I d- completed the my course there. Yes. The, the no, but I, uh, did
1: you? Did you? Were you appointed after your internship at the Royal Melbourne, or did you? No, fly I, away.
2: I went to, flew away, and went down to Hobart. <laughs> right. And uh, there, the uh, Royal Hobart Hospital was then like a magnificent general practice, um, that uh, you just came across everything. And to my distress, I, I had a natural sympathy for people who were in pain. And I was asked to look at one girl once, a 15-year-old girl, and she was in a pain. Her abdomen was painful. I went and examined her and found that she was in labour. Right. She, was mm. yes. her, yes. she was pregnant, unbeknownst to her, she was pregnant, which meant that the schools had failed her, yes. her parents had failed her, mm. the hospital had failed her in teaching her uh, what the rudiments of how you conceive yes. and how to prevent conception.
1: Well, you're a little bit smarter than I am because <laughs> I think it was 77 I was at uh, doing... Accident emergency at a major hospital here in Melbourne. And I was doing the early morning shift, you know, yeah. midnight yeah. to dawn. And being the second year, I was in charge, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and this young girl, about 18, oh, 70, Monday. yes, this young girl, about 17 or 18, came in and she was in horrible pain. And I thought, oh, she's got a burst appendix. <laughs> she's got this, she's got that. <laughs> so I sent her for an X ray. <laughs> and the radiologist came out he says "Joe, what are you bloody doing you know what are you doing she's pregnant and I'm thinking to myself oh and then her parents are in obviously in the waiting room and I've got to go out there and I said I've got some good news for you you're going to be grandparents in the next half hour Oh good! <laughs> I've never seen such a shock look <laughs> on people's faces. I know we laugh about it,
2: but it, it's—I know—but but know. these things happen. It's they just funny happen. how the, the experiences are similar. I mean, yeah. The—but uh, every now and then you—you mm. you get these. Anyway, I, I saw the year out, yeah. and it was an extremely fruitful year. The—the mm. the other. But I must tell you, uh, halfway through the year, the wharf labourers in uh, Hobart decided they'd have a, a May Day march. Right. And uh, I thought, right, I'll, I'll march with them. I felt I had to uh, align myself with the working people. So, so you're m- a, you were an active member of the Communist Party in Tasmania? Ho- in in Tasmania, Tas- I was. Okay. Yep. Uh, so I walked uh, into the... Headquarters of the Wharfies, and they. um, I saw one bloke put a flask of wine (laughs) and walk out the door, Door. back out the door. uh, And I walked there, and there are about 500 people. uh, To my astonishment and admiration for his courage, a friend of mine, Barry Forbes, who uh, we had. been together for quite a while and I knew him as a great friend. He joined me in the march. He wasn't in the party, he no. wasn't any, mm. but he was showing solidarity to his friends. And I've never forgotten that. Mm. Uh, he's was in practice in Melbourne for mm. many, many years. Well,
1: well, did that create any problems for you in Tasmania?
2: Oh, it... it uh uh, divided the hospital into those who supported and those who didn't mm. and but I was not reappointed the following right. year. <laughs> so so where would you go next? To the children's <laughs> hospital uh, in Mel- Melbourne. In Melright, yes. And that was a really very interesting place and it, well, I learned a lot. Um, I learned how important it is to be modest in medicine, uh, to be knowledgeable and to to know what you're doing, uh, but I had most unfortunate experience with one chap who was an English uh, surgeon. He came out as an opponent of the uh, health service in the National Health Scheme in Britain. Right, uh, he. Uh, was not much of a neurosurgeon <laughs> this was the neuro neuro so neuro ward this is in the mid 1960s i assume no this
1: is uh 1950 All right,
2: uh, right 50, 50s. yeah 50 you would have c- eight, 58 eight. so this is your third 50, year out
1: Yeah, it was very common. It was very common to get second rate surgeons from England to come across to Australia in that period.
2: Well, what happened Mm. was that he would be so slow and not know what he was doing Mm. that the children who were waiting behind on the list Mm. would not be fed or would not have water because they couldn't do it prior to a. a, The operation. Yeah. Operation. Or really, it's the anaesthetic. Mm. Mm. And uh, I used to get into severe trouble with the nurses. You know, look, this boy has been here for three hours without anything. What are you doing about it? And I couldn't say that Mr. So-and-so was a little bit behind (laughs) in his operating but the the head of the unit, Mr. Hooper, was uh, a magnificent. chap right. his day. great deal mm. of affection and respect for him.
1: Do, do you remember the the first trefine you ever did? You know the, remember the, the yes. good old days in neurosurgery, where you had you had the drill and the bit yes. and you, and you'd kind of cut the scalp and then you'd That's drill. Into, into, yeah. through the skull yeah
2: i I'd never had occasion to do that before.
1: oh i didn't you? No. yeah look i've i i, I did some uh, i was a registrar for one of the neurosurgeons and uh, that was my job oh, <laughs> to prepare yes. it you know the yes, patient for yeah. it
2: yeah that so after like, after the royal children's where, where did you end up in, um, after the the w- the children's, I bought a practice Mm -hmm. at 78 Bell Street Coburg. Right. A doctor who was a well-respected doctor, excellent doctor, really, Ted Wellstead. He was a man in a hurry, um, and I bought the practice for £14,000.
1: That is a lot of money in those days. That is a fortune.
2: I My <laughs> maximum debt was five shillings to Tim Lowe uh, for lunch that I'd <laughs> forgotten. That was my maximum debt I was and in. Now i was saddled with 14,000 pounds. I started practice and the first woman who came into the surgery, I remember well. She came in and I said, how are you? And she said broke into tears her husband was in with a heart attack in hospital her son had been uh, arrested for breaking into the local garage and uh, uh, she was in real trouble she talked to me for about an hour and on the way out I said look don't worry about paying the fee. You've got <laughs> enough on you. Then I thought, I'm <laughs> done. You're done. Uh, you, the you, next, you, can't, you can't be in private
1: practice and be sympathetic. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: no, 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 no. I was beginning to realise it, <laughs> yeah. particularly after the next woman who came in. She was a pensioner, and yes. uh, this is after the uh, we, we're on uh, uh, Medicare. That that. Uh, You you only paid, pensions only paid eight shillings. Mm. Uh, She came in and uh, said, oh, good, I'm glad you're there. I want to tell you now all my medical troubles. (laughs) And she told me the whole history of her troubles. (laughs) And When she started on her family, to give you an idea, (sighs) I said, don't worry worry about that. We'll do that next time. Did
1: you have a receptionist? I did. What did the receptionist uh, think of all this?
2: Couldn't believe it. <laughs> couldn't believe it. Uh, but I thought I was practicing uh, you know, responsible medicine. medicine. <laughs> well, it's
1: it's throughput, throughput. You've got £14,000 <laughs> to pay off. I don't uh, know what the interest rates were uh, those at days. At 11
2: o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I earned eight shillings. I yeah. thought, I'm, <laughs> I'm going broke. I'm going to go bankrupt. But anyway, uh, I had calls to do, and mm. at ten o'clock at night, I uh, finished up. Right, the last person. Yeah. Um, but it's You night. weren't
1: following the neurosurgeon's example, were you? No, 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 <laughs> no. Yeah,
2: I, I couldn't. I had to. I had to hurry up.
1: You do, uh, you weren't in a relationship at this stage, were you?
2: Uh, Yes, and wh- my wife had d- said, how long are you going to keep this up? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and what did she say? She had said she had no intention of being a doctor's wife. <laughs> right. And <laughs> didn't, I didn't, didn't know you? at the time what that was, but I soon found out. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, <laughs> so. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance.
2: It's just $40 concession, $80 waged,
0: $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. You're
1: listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. How long did you last in the practice? Oh,
2: 13 years. 13 years. I was in the practice uh, for about um, two months when a friend of mine came down from, a council member came down from the Coburg City Council. Oh, he was a health inspector. <laughs> and he asked me if I would apply for the job of uh, a health doctor, for mm-hmm. so the municipal health doctor of, right. the, the, of the area. Uh, and the council, it's quite a responsible position that's more powerful than that of of the police force as far as closing places down and making decisions. Mm. But that was the most interesting job I've ever done. Really? Oh.
1: What was the the most atrocious situation you came across as the health doctor for the city of Coburg?
2: For the city, I'll tell you. (laughs) there was a, a i got a call that a case of typhoid mm-hmm. had been discovered uh, come off a boat and had taken a, up a job um, uh, but had gone in had to go into hospital because he had typhoid and uh, his wife and three children so we went around there and i was shocked it was a run down house it was cold in Melbourne, the no curtains on the windows, and I w- knocked on the door, opened by a 10-year-old girl who was feeding her two younger brothers with a loaf of bread she had in her hand, breaking off pieces and giving to them, and I walked through the house, I told her I, I was just a doctor coming in to see how things were going. And she was a bit frightened at first. And uh, that was all that was in the house. There was nothing. And what had happened was the family had got on a boat at Marseille, had come out to Australia, but on the way out he'd got typhoid. Mm. So when they came out, they had to isolate, which they did in this run-down old house, and the husband was in Fairfield, the wife was just about to come back from seeing him Mm. and while we were there she came back and seeing the Matt Howden, the health inspector that came with me and myself, she got frightened Mm. so we reassured her. Mm. She had no money, there was no food, there was no furniture. And I thought, this is not... So I remembered Mr. B- uh, Mr. and Mrs. Baxter from... Uh, Sinclair from Baxter Street. Mm. They'd been through the Depression and we had in Jordan. So I went around to them and asked them if they would make some soup and take it down to the Dandelo family. Mm. They were delighted to do it. Mm. They went, made soup and took it down. And then I went back and thought, well, I do have a... a, a, a make an appeal in the uh, in the Herald. Yes. I'll get them to make an appeal for this lady. Yes. So I rang them up and she, the, the uh, reporter said, oh, I'd love to. Came down and uh, 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 she said, we'll run it the next two days. So I rang the Italian consulate mm. and told him, that uh, that she had a uh, compatriot of his that was in dire straits and would he kindly come down and help her. Mm. Look, I'm terribly sorry, Doctor, I have not got the time to do it. Oh, I said, that's a pity because the Herald's going to be down taking photographs of everyone who turns up. Look, I might be able to fit Mm. it in
1: between... You you realise you had a bocce tournament to go to.
2: Oh well I That's why I didn't have enough time. A dinner party or something. No like, bocce tournament. Bocce I tournament. Yeah. you really yeah, at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> That's right. How and that then but let me tell you, yeah. they the Herald ran this appeal for the woman. They had a beautiful article, explained it very carefully. Within days the house was full of furniture, Mm. food was coming in, Mm. the woman didn't know whether to laugh or cry, Mm. the money poured in. Within a week, these couple were just in clover. Mm. They were fed, they were well, Mm. it was just lovely.
1: Goodwill, a lot of goodwill. I mean, there's a lot of badness in the world, but there's a lot of goodwill. goodwill. There's a lot of goodwill. Absolutely. So after 13 years, what made you hang up your shingle in Coburg?
2: Well, I, a lot of personal things. But right. My wife who decided she would not be a, a, doctor's, a doctor's wife. Was, certainly yeah. wasn't, and she was caught up in the in the time the f- feminist mm. times of the mm. day, and, yeah. and there were a lot of factors. And, mm. uh, she so, did, did uh, you have any children at this stage? Yes, we. I had three children. children. Right. Uh, in. Uh, Naomi and Sylvia, mm. um, or Naomi, Ian and Sylvia, mm. and they're, they're lovely children. Uh, they have done very well in life. Oh, I'm sure they have. I'm um, sure they have, yeah.
1: So it was one of these crisis points. It
2: was, really. Yeah. I, I had delivered a paper to an international... Um, con- congress in Sydney, mm. and decided I would part. Uh, this was a congress on obstetrics and gynaecology, right? And in in uh, seventy, nineteen seventy six, wow. and uh, I had up after this uh, episode with the consultant, I'd spent some time in the women's hospital and could not get over the way women in labour were treated. <coughs> there was one long ward in the women's mm. with about twenty different beds in it. Mm. Sisters stood up, uh, stood at one end would issue instructions, get number seven back into bed. Yeah. Uh, the women mm. were just it's suffering. Mm. I thought, this is wrong. And uh, so I decided, after much thought, to uh, suggest birthing centres. And that's a birthing centre <clears throat> where a woman can enter with her p- own <clears throat> husband, partner yeah. and family no procedures are allowed there. She must be taught the, the, the facts of pregnancy, what happens in, in birth, and th- what is done to relieve it. Mm. And I used then the psychoprophylactic method. And this is based on one of Pavlov's mm. uh, dictums, that uh, mutual induction, if an area of the cerebral cortex is an uh, excitation, other areas of the cortex are in a state of inhibition. Yes. In other words, if you attend to something, Mm. you don't notice the stimuli coming in from outside. So, elevating an involuntary action to a voluntary action and concentrating on that, like breathing... Yes. can suppress the pain of contractions Mm. in fact they they laboya never called them pains they were always so so are are you
1: trying to tell us that before this period that breathing wasn't part of the birthing process in this country
2: i am telling you now breathing was not part of the birthing process a woman would be met at the the door of the labor ward with her case mm. the the sister who'd probably just come out of the army <laughs> would take the case and say i'll take the case you can go home come in put the woman in a ward and say bring me if you're distressed
1: Dear,
2: the woman and would be left alone to labour alone for whatever time it took. Every now and then, someone would go in and and monitor her. Right, Mm -hmm. and that was the way that the labour ward proceeded. And then they were carted out. But what really annoyed me again was that as soon as the baby was born, they were taken taken away from the mother, they had a cuddle, taken away from the mother and put in the nursery mm-hmm. and bottle fed. Not uncommon in those days to feed with Nestle condensed milk. That's right. Which yeah. is the one thing mm-hmm. that will destroy the possibility of breast milk. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I... Uh, uh, took a series of cases of my own where that I'd, I ran classes every week for pregnant women and I took a cohort of, of 120 cases and compared them mm. to 100 cases from a um, hospital, a maternity mm. hospital close by and wrote an article which was published in uh, the Annals of General Practice but I... <coughs> presented it to the doctors because, up in the, yeah. in the uh, International S- Congress. S- so
1: in many regards, uh, you, you know, you could be called a Semmelweis... Remember Dr. Semmelweis and infection? I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, something something is done for hundreds of years, and all of a sudden somebody says, "This is bullshit. You should do it a different way." Hounded him
2: mercilessly, (laughs) the Austrians. Yes, 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 I remember. Yes, Um, and well, it was similar. Yeah, it was similar because, you know, he said, he said
1: Why are the women? We've built this beautiful new hospital and they refused to come in because they were dying in droves because of their. Let
2: me tell you hmm. that. In the Royal Women's Hospital, the women were refusing to come into the hospital mm. because of it. They were electing to have their babies at home. Yes. And frequently I was asked to go along and uh, talk to the home birth movement, a huge movement in Melbourne. Mm. And the, the women the women's were losing patience one after the other. Mm. I w- would go out. And and I would speak to them, but sometimes they were terribly funny. Uh, there was one occasion I went out. What I had delivered, what I thought was my standard uh, talk about the necessity in Melbourne for birthing centres. Mm. And this woman got up and said, uh, I had to stop using white flour. And I thought, God, what white flour <laughs> got to <into> do with this? <laughs> she said... On Sunday morning, my husband and I would make love and then I would get up afterwards and make um, uh, uh, fritters or pancakes and use white flour and we would always have a row. (laughs) And I didn't realise until later that it was white flour. (laughs) So I changed over to wholemeal flour and we haven't had a rouse since. (laughs) And she sat down and did not say another word. And
1: you were supposed to respond. (laughs) Uh, So the practice that you bought for £14,000 13 years previously, what did you sell it for
2: or did you give it away? uh, Well, uh, uh, then... It did. I didn't make much money on. Um, we converted to uh, dollars, yes. and uh, it it was sold to a Chinese doctor who was a very good doctor. But un- unfortunately, the council wanted to buy it and cut and uh, clo- and knock the place down, right. which they've done, and now it's a paddock. Oh. Right, it's <clears throat> no, mm.
1: no good. So. I then, you, this is you know, you've got this personal crisis at the end of thirteen years. The practice is you've left the practice. What happens next to you?
2: Well, uh, uh, I <coughs> following the separation between my first wife, um, I lived in Carlton and uh, continued running and met another a very very fine woman who uh, uh, I eventually, we we got married and set up and uh, I had two children by her mm-hmm. uh, two boys um, then uh, I went to new guinea and set up a excuse practice. me excuse me excuse me melbourne to new guinea
1: yes what's what's going on in your head percy yeah. <laughs> Uh, Come on, what's going on? I mean, it's not not a normal progression in the medical field.
2: Well, let me tell you, (laughs) it's not a normal progression at all. (laughs) I had decided I would continue with pathology as the key subject in medical practice. As is your pathology, so is your practice, Hmm. Osler. Uh, I I was in there for seven years as a tutor. Then I became a senior tutor. And at the end of that time, they'd asked me to go to New Guinea to deliver a series of lectures on cancer, which I I did, and loved it so much that I determined to go back. And when uh, I had sold the practice, uh, I applied for a job in The University of Technology in Lai, and to my surprise, they asked me to fly up and be interviewed, which I did. They apparently liked the cut of my rig, and they... So, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What was the job? The job was to set up a clinic at the the University of Technology, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I went up and did. Uh, set up a... Uh, so what did your second wife think of
1: this? Was she a doctor's she wife? Was,
2: no, she <laughs> was very keen on going up. Up to New
1: Guinea. Yeah, oh, that makes was, all the difference, doesn't
2: it? And uh, w- when I was in New Guinea, I had my, my second son by her, mm. and uh, I <clears throat> uh, she came into labour uh, one Saturday morning, and it was very strong labour, so I rushed her in, carried her in, to the uh, delivery ward, mm. and uh, you always go through a group of, of locals. And I went through this group of locals, and they they murmured and, "Oh, me too much! Oh, it's too much! to too much! Everything is too much! It's too much!" You All right? Uh, so I got her in, and she had. Guy straight away, mm-hmm. he was delivered as a breech. Mm. and just sort of slithered out. Just, mm. an easy, mm. right. just an easy, An easy delivery. Yes. Um, I delivered it. Yes. And New Guinea is like a humic crib. So, so, what? What?
1: What year was this? Roughly, when was this? Seventy. In the se- seventy-six, right? Just. Before independence, was it, or just
2: after? Uh, just, it uh, was, independence was the 15th of September, 1975. seventy yeah. In 76, uh, when I went there, uh, you were called uh, by, respectfully, by your name or whatever title you wanted. Mm-hmm. I never insisted on a title. Mm-hmm. Um, because you never told the truth. No. <laughs> when you title someone. Um... Uh, uh, they, when I was there in 75, I was called Tamanda Master. In 76, that had been stopped, mm. which was great. Right. We, was so,
1: <clears throat> was this a, a general clinic or were you doing more, were you doing surgery as well as obstetrics in the, for this clinic?
2: Uh I could do whatever work I wanted right. surgery. I did not do surgery. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, it was a general clinic, did, mm. Mm. did everything.
1: Right. So what's your pigeon like? uh <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, lick, lick. <laughs> and, uh, I picked up a bit of a pigeon, but not enough. <laughs> not enough. So, so how long did you last at lay? Two years. Two at the, years. At right. End, came back and and I ended up the uh, president of the staff association when the staff association president went off on holidays, and mm-hmm. it, it was an interesting job. You had to. Uh, Oh, it was a fascinating place to be in. Mm. Across the road, I had a chap who um, uh, was a bacteriologist and uh, he asked me if I would do some lectures for him. Mm. I did so um, and uh, (coughs) I went back to watch him give a lecture and I I thought, he knows nothing about bacteriology. (laughs) He'd set up a, a pathology clinic yes. in, in Ley. Yes, yes. He uh, was making thousands of dollars. Yeah. And he, I, I said to the registrar of, uh, of Unitech, uh, check him with the... Check his where, credentials. <laughs> ...that uh, university claimed to go from. In, they'd never heard of him. No. So, well, as I said before,
1: uh, you know, when you went to the Royal Melbourne, You'd get failed surgeons that would come back down to the antipodes, you know, to see the convicts. It was the same philosophy in New Guinea, it's you terrible, know. You'd have terrible. a lot of people in those days. Without the internet, it's very hard to check on people. Yes, it was. They'd make up their own. So, what happened to the bloke? Did he? They move him on, or
2: the last I heard of him, he was still running the pathology clinic <laughs> and in still,
1: And still making lots of money. <laughs> yeah. So, when you came back to Melbourne you came back to Melbourne with your wife and kids came back
2: to Melbourne Mm. and uh, after a while I did my uh, fellowship for uh, obstetrics and became a a sort of qualified obstetrician Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, it's a diploma of obstetrics which I found very interesting Mm. and then uh, I was doing locum work Uh, in Melbourne and a job came up in a place you've never heard of but the most beautiful place in the world, Cocos Keeling Island.
1: I've heard of it. Oh, you've heard of it? I'll tell you why, because uh, I remember the, uh, the ruler... Of Cocos Killing <laughs> Islands and how the Whitlam Labor government—he was basically running a feudal society. He was. It was a was. feudal society. They it used to was. bring in what Malaysian workers across. A d- and a, a little more. La- yeah.
2: Initially, they were indentured labourers. That's right. Uh, he set it up with um, his uh, uh, partner. Yes. um the partner was a uh, potentate of the South Seas yes ran a harem yes. on board his ship mm. then came to Cocoskeeling Island yes put his harem on an island yes. in cages yes. called to this day the palu no uh, 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 uh Oh it well, doesn't you. matter come doesn't matter. No. Yeah, but, but it's so, so Yeah, so did you know anything about Cocos Keeling Island before you got there? I we certainly researched it. One oh. of the most romantic histories in
1: Oh, it's extraordinary, oh, isn't it? God, extraordinary. Well, when was it incorporated into Australia? Because really 78. Yeah, because they <clears throat> thought of themselves an independent kingdom, you know.
2: Oh, that was John Clini's right? Yeah, yeah. He um mm. he he uh, was chased by the uh, uh, mob who recruiting mob in England, mm. rushed into a house, was taken into the house and locked in a, in a, a cupboard. the The uh, group who were trying to abduct him to get him into the navy couldn't find him, so went away but he married eventually the daughter of the house that he'd rushed into right. by accident. Right. Um, and John Clooney's rust brought his, his wife out to Cocos and hutted her, put her, built a hut and put her in the hut and then went off to Java to recruit 150 Javalese men to work the uh, coconut plantation. Mm. And he made a fortune. Mm, mm. Darwin visited the island in 1836. Mm. He he found he, Clooney's Ross had found the place in 1825. Oh, yes. Went back in 1827 with mm. his wife, mm. and Darwin came in 1836. It was not very complimentary. <laughs> 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 no, look,
1: I, I do remember the Labor government took Whitlam Labor government took a big interest in. Uh, Cocos killing and uh, incorporated into Australia I mean they at did. One, I think at one stage they were even suggesting they were going to send a naval gunboat down there
2: well that was 1970 yeah. 78 it changed yeah. over yeah. into Australian hands but uh, uh, so, so who, who
1: employed you
2: oh the home the uh, home affairs home affairs with, right. And I, I had to host the home affairs. Where they so, how
1: many there. of you went up there? You, your wife, the, your kids.
2: Uh, two, two boys. Yep. The boys loved it, mm. chasing crabs on the beach. And mm. look, it was just beautiful.
1: So, how, how many people would you have to um, provide services for? Uh,
2: Three hundred and fifty uh, Malay people mm-hmm. who lived on Home Island, and two hundred and fifty Europeans who lived on. Uh, uh, West Island.
1: Right. And and um, Percy, I'm afraid we're going to have to do another hour. Oh. I'm sorry, <laughs> Percy. <laughs> this is what happens when you live to 96. <laughs> no. Yes.
2: What if I live longer? <laughs>
1: Well, then you'll have to invite Kelly and myself and the listeners to your 100th birthday party. Oh. We expect an invitation. You know that now. Oh, you better and, I mean, me if it. we're going to talk to you for three hours, mate, come on. We need something in, as compensation. <laughs> Quid pro quo. Give me your Quid pro quo. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I just.
2: Yeah, uh, if look, I can still write, I'll write you an invitation. Are you happy
0: to join us again, Percy?
2: I would be delighted. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Provided you can put up with me.
0: We can put up with you. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah, well,
1: I can. I can. I can cross swords with you, Percy. You know? <laughs> you I'm do. old enough. I mean, these young whippersnappers—what do they know? No. They wouldn't even know where Cocos Keeling Island is. No. No. Did you know where that was?
0: That's not the Christmas Island, is it? No. 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 Same. <laughs> d- same area.
2: Get a pin and put uh. it in the middle of the Indian Ocean, and that is Cocos, Cocos Keeling. Uh, yeah. At the most beautiful place you. Uh. And 27 islands surrounding a lagoon. Yes. The blue changes colour during the day, blue, deep green, yeah. absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing, the Percy, sunset. that some of
1: the most beautiful places are some of the most horrid histories. Yes. I can tell <laughs> my, yes.
2: my history of it. Are we own. Yeah, well, we're, we're still, still on. We're still on. We're Pro-co. still, chatting. Yeah, we're still like chatting. We're still chatting. I mean, we try
1: to humanise these uh, chats. <coughs> I see. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he was look uh, listeners. He was stealing his book from me because he could <laughs> see I was eyeing it off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a hardcover copy, and uh, you know, obviously he uh, provided one for the. Uh, producer kelly but uh, yes
0: i've read it there's much yeah. more
1: story uh, oh, well, to tell. well i it. look i'm not reading it because i I'm, know which I'm side
2: c- of the toast my toast is buttered.
1: that's right yeah you got to always look after the producer well thank you very much percy look it'll maybe a few months before we get the uh, Oh,
0: we can do it by the end of the year end of the probably year. in november a yeah. few weeks down the line
1: yeah all I right see. and we'll do we'll do the final chapter so there's only one problem, Percy.
2: It goes on beyond that. Let me tell you, we haven't got lead out of petrol yet. Uh, we uh, started NELFI, National Association for Lead. Yeah, we, we, we've got. Um, we've yeah, well, we, have, we have another
1: uh, hour, Percy. Relax. Or two, or two? No, another hour. Three hours. <laughs> That's the limit. That's it. If you get to hundred we'll give you another we'll give you four hours, Percy, okay. Oh,
0: thanks for listening to Radical Australia. We'll see you next week. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 03
2: 9419 8377
0: or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.